0: Let's turn this morning to 1 John, looking at chapter 2, verses 1 through 6. It says, My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. And by this we know that we have come to know him, if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him, Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. Growing up and something I still enjoy, most of you that know me know, is the game of baseball. Threatened recently by a lockout, so we'll see how that goes. But when we think about baseball, some of us have maybe heard it said that baseball is a game of inches. The strike zone is only as wide as the 17-inch home plate, not an inch more, not an inch less. The difference between hitting a pitch on the barrel of the bat resulting in a home run and slightly off the bottom edge of the bat for a ground ball out can be as little as a fraction. Of an inch. A runner may be safer out by a fraction of an inch, a tag from the foot touching the bag before it hits the first baseman's mitt milliseconds and inches to make that true. But for each of those things, whether it's a strike or a ball, whether the runner is safe or out, it is definitive. Whether the pitch was 10 inches outside or 1 inch outside, it was a ball. We reach a definitive conclusion at the end of each of those minute, small elements that are within the game of baseball. In fact, sometimes it's been said, because of that definitive nature, that if you missed it by an inch, you may have well missed it by a mile that concept that idea of missing it by an inch might as well be missing it by a mile can also hold true in our understanding of the assurance of salvation this morning as we look at what the apostle john provides in first john chapter 2, will spend time looking at and understanding the assurance of salvation, especially in verses 3 through 6, with the key element being that our assurance, how we know that we are in, that we abide in Christ, is that we will obey his commands. You see, this obedience comes from our love of God but in fact it comes because he first loved us ultimately our obedience and the fruit of that obedience is from the love love of Christ and what he has done on our behalf you see the world and Even some so-called Christians have been tricked in subtlety by the cunning and crafty enemy. Similar to the twisting of words in the garden, the intention of the twisting of our understanding of the assurance of our salvation is, is death. The twisting of that is death. In this case, the twisting of that understanding asks or incorrectly asserts that the highest regard then is our strive for obedience. That in our striving for good works, we therefore will have the assurance of salvation. Now folks, although the understanding may seem inconsequential, right, of which comes first, Or maybe that that idea is just missing by an inch. I'm telling you, it's missing by a mile. That incorrect understanding that it's our obedience that draws us to the Father looks to bring glory to us. Looks to take away from God and to add to us which is in direct opposition of the truth of the gospel and what Christ has done for us. And it's in direct opposition of what Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 10, where he says, For grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So I urge us this morning as we consider the assurance of salvation, thats that it is abundantly clear in our minds and in our hearts that this assurance is from what Christ has done for us. And the resultant faith and obedience are the outworking of what he has done and not the other way around. Folks, it might seem minute. It's a game of inches, but if we don't get it, we may have missed it by a mile. So, with that, let's look at the entirety of what the Lord has for us in 1 John this morning. As we look at this set of six verses in chapter 2, it's Ordered in a way in which verses 1 and 2 piggyback onto what the Apostle John provided in chapter 1 to lay out a correct understanding of who Jesus is and our relationship to Him with Jesus Christ as our advocate with the Father. In verse 3, then, we see that explanation of the assurance of salvation in Jesus Christ. Verses 4 through 6 begin to attack a false teaching or a false understanding and and make a necessary correlation between knowing and obeying Jesus Christ. And so that's how we'll take it this morning. We'll take it in these two per- parts. First, looking at verses 1 and 2 and the understanding of Christ as our advocate with the Father. And secondly, we'll look at then verses three through six and an understanding of the assurance of our salvation in Jesus Christ. When we consider these first couple verses, right off the bat, the Apostle John lays out the purpose of his writing. He says, My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may. Not sin. As we continue to navigate these set of verses and really the entire letter of 1 John, let's make sure to keep that purpose in mind. That John is writing so that we would not sin. I find that purpose to be pure. I find that purpose to be really a refreshing and beautiful opening to this part of the letter. In a world where advice and input, messages and guidance all around our lives from many different perspectives, most, if not all, of what's being provided to us don't even bother to consider the intention so that we may not sin. Whether it's products that will help us do this or that, self-help books or an understanding of psychology, sometimes even input or advice from family members or close friends. A lot of times these things are not addressing our greatest threat, our greatest foe, our greatest enemy, that which separates us from God, our sin. And so the Apostle John makes it very clear here by starting out this section of the letter with this, that we need to understand the depravity of our sin. that we must truly consider what is keeping us from our God. And our prayer this morning is that we then would be encouraged that here in God's Word, the Word of life that we have in front of us, the Apostle John provides this to us so that we may not sin. Apostle John continues in the second half of verse 1, considering what he provided a few verses before in chapter 1, verse 8, where he said, If we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. And in verse 10, he says, If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. So he piggybacks onto that idea that he is writing this so that we may not sin by acknowledging that we will and that we do. That even as followers of Christ, the tangles of sin ensnare us. And so he provides an explanation, truly lays out the gospel by saying, but if anyone does sin, We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. What a simple yet beautiful expression of the gospel message. If we sin, and we all sin, we have a Savior that was provided to us in Christ Jesus. We also see that idea of an advocate. What does it mean then to be an advocate? What does it mean that Jesus Christ is our advocate? Well, in the court system, an advocate speaks for the rights of his or her clients. In our judicial system, your advocate is normally your lawyer. The one who has Studied and knows the intricacies of the law and can assist, can provide counsel and guidance, can speak on your behalf to the judge. An advocate in the court system helps you navigate your case and your situation against the standard that is the law. And in this case, we stand under judgment of a holy God. We are found guilty on all accounts according to His righteous law. As sinners, we have violated God's standard, rejected His rightful ruling of our lives, and continued to sin even after coming to a knowledge The truth. We commit sins of commission in doing things we're commanded not to do. And we commit sins of omission by not doing the things we're commanded to do. And in this system, in this case, it's pretty open and shut. The only just punishment. For our sin, for violating God's law, is an eternity in hell. But thankfully, oh Lord, thankfully, Jesus stands as our advocate between the righteous judgment of the Father and the guilt of our sin. Through His shed blood and substitutionary sacrifice, Jesus Christ, the righteous one, is the one who has taken the full wrath and punishment we deserve. This morning, Buffalo City Church, let us seriously consider our sin. Let us acknowledge that we have fallen short, oh, so many times. But then, with complete joy and satisfaction, with complete love for He who saved us, Let us consider who Christ is and what he has done for us as our advocate to the Father. The spotless lamb, the one who lived perfectly, he who was tempted in every way but lived holy and righteous, took the shame, the punishment, the wrath that we deserved on the cross because of the love that he has for us. Considering the context of this letter, John was writing to a church that had undergone a split. There was disunity, there was divide, there was factions within this church. And in fact, many people had left. There were people in the midst of this congregation who didn't agree on who Jesus was. We can tell from this letter and what the Apostle John is providing to those who remained within the church that there was a misunderstanding of Christ's deity. There were folks who refused to understand that he was both fully man and fully God. There was a misunderstanding of how they could and should act because of what Christ had done for them. And so John then comes writing this letter encouraging this group of people reminding them of the truth that they were holding on to that he is an advocate with the Father for the, for sinners but also that he is the propitiation for our sins and not only for ours but for the sins of the whole world. Now the word Propitiation may not be a common word in our everyday vernacular, but truthfully should be a profound and common understanding for followers of Jesus Christ. His atoning sacrifice, the regaining of favor in the eyes of the Father, is the propitiation for our sins that Christ provided. This term, this Central tenet for believers was described this way by J.I. Packer in his book Knowing God. He says, Has the word propitiation any place in your Christianity? In the faith of the New Testament, it is central. The love of God, the taking of human form by the Son, the meaning of the cross, Christ's heavenly intercession, the way of salvation, all are to be explained in terms of it. As the passages quoted show, and any explanation from which the thought of propitiation is missing will be complete. And indeed, actually misleading by New Testament standards. Packer continues in explaining that the current doctrinal understanding seems to quickly discard our understanding or acknowledgement of propitiation and the atoning sacrifice made by Christ Jesus. My prayer this morning, Buffalo City Church, is that that may not be true of us, that we may regularly consider and reflect and acknowledge in the ways that we talk, in the ways that we act and care and love for one another in our community, that we are acting out in all ways that Jesus Christ is the propitiation for our sins. This is also then where this message goes from personal and individual to truly universal. For a church hurting and looking to understand and be encouraged despite the difficult circumstances of this church split, this message included a call to share this life-altering truth with the world. Don't be discouraged, folks. Be encouraged because Christ is our advocate. Christ is our advocate. Christ is our advocate. he is saying, church, be encouraged because our sin has been paid. Our sin has been paid. Our sin has been paid. And not just for us, but for the whole world and is the joy of all humankind if they are willing to accept the truth of Christ's propitiation. For our sins. The joy, this encouragement that's being provided to this church should make us consider then our situations. Folks, have you found yourself lately in despair? Have you found yourself struggling to? understand what's going on in our world and how to press forward with all the confusion going on around us. I know for me, there have been a lot of really difficult things over the last couple years that I'm truly struggling to wrap my mind around. There's been death and grief And members of my family struggling to sort through that and understand what that means. Our home is a little chaotic. Okay, admission, a lot chaotic. (laughs) With four boys, six and under, with the older two starting homeschool this year. At work, there seems to be the next big challenge (laughs) set forth by the next big challenge, and then here you go. Here's the next big challenge. But in light of what's going on around us, whatever is burdening us, Buffalo City Church, let us take heart because he, has overcome the world. We are given his word so that we may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Christ Jesus, the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Let us, Buffalo City Church, rest. In that truth. And so now we look then at our second point and what John continues in verses 3 through 6, which is well summarized in verse 3, with an, under, with an answer to our understanding of the assurance of our salvation. When John lays out the joy of the gospel and what Christ has done for those who are in Christ, in those first couple verses, you can anticipate the question coming from the church. How then am I assured that I am in Christ? How then am I assured to have Jesus as my advocate with the Father? Explained quite simply and quite plain in verse 3, And by this we know that we have come to know him, if we keep his commandments. You see, John is reminding, he's encouraging this broken church, that they, in fact, are assured of the advocate if they keep Christ's commands hearts transformed by the Holy Spirit by faith, lives which have been made new, those who will dwell with him forever are the ones who know and keep his commands. He reiterates this idea later on in the letter in chapter 3, verses 7, when he says, little children, whoever practices righteousness is righteous as he is righteous. You see, Buffalo City Church, the evidence of a transformed heart is a transformed life. Not out of our own self-will and self-determination, not out of our own self-pride or self-righteousness, but one, but out of seeing and knowing what Christ has done for us. Out of accepting through faith faith that Christ's sacrifice was sufficient for our sins and the sins of the world. Yes, that is what yields the fruit, provides the evidence that he abides within us that we love him enough to keep his commands. Now, this was kind of the point of the introduction, but before you get too ahead of yourself and claim that Blaze was preaching works-based righteousness, I want you to think back to that introduction. I don't want you to miss this by an inch and then therefore may have missed it by a mile. The correct understanding is that we are saved by grace through faith and from that we see the fruit of transformed lives. The incorrect alternative or works-based understanding would be that, oh, then what you're saying, Blaze, is that if we practice righteousness, we have right standing with God and earn knowing and abiding in him, right? No. No, 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 no. If you've ever considered that, if you've ever thought that if you do one more right thing, you'll earn the right standing you need with God, you must repent. And believe that it was his righteousness and his righteousness alone that allows us to have right standing with God. We, as believers, are not advocating our right standing with God. But alternatively, Jesus Christ is our advocate with the Father because of what he has done on our behalf. Our obedience is not what allows us to be in him, but being in him allows for our obedience. Let me say that again. Our obedience is not what allows us to be in him, but being in him allows for our obedience. One that is in him is the one who will obey and bear much fruit. And so as we continue then in verse 4, the apostle John begins to attack an incorrect understanding of the assurance of faith. Really looks at this from the opposite way, which based on what the rest of this letter provides is Likely an understanding that those who've left the church are are understanding on their end. He says in verses 4 and 5, Whoever says I know him but does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word in him, truly the love of God is perfected. So he clearly and plainly goes to provide that if we know Him, we keep His commandments. And then alternatively, looks at the flip side and says, those who say they know Him, but do not keep His commandments, are liars. And they do not know the truth of God. And then comes back and says, whoever keeps His word, whoever Does his commands, in him truly the love of God is perfected. Interestingly, throughout this letter, the Apostle John uses this approach. If you say one thing, but you do something else that doesn't align with that truth, you are mistaken, and it shows that you don't understand the truth of what Christ has provided. The Apostle John is attacking the unbelief and false teaching of those who left the church, concluding these sets of arguments with the bold and difficult truth that those who have stepped away from this church never knew Jesus Christ. Their disobedience to his command, their unrepentant sin is evidence that despite what they say, they have never known Jesus Christ. And therefore, do not have the assurance of salvation provided him without repenting and believing in the truth. We see these arguments, what John is is trying to convey uh, in against some of these false teachings. We see in, in chapter 1, verse 6, if we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and we do not practice the truth chapter 1 verse 8 if we say we have no sin we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us if we say we have not sinned we make him a liar and the, and his word is not in us from chapter 1 verse 10 and chapter 2 verse 9 whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. You can almost see the Apostle John saying to this church, talking about those who had left, they said they had fellowship with Jesus when they walked in darkness and didn't obey his commands. That is untrue. They said that because of what Jesus has done, they are without sin. That is untrue. They said they could hate and dislike a particular group of people or create factions in the church and still abide in him. That is untrue. Again, the Apostle John was encouraging these individuals that still remained faithful to the church faithful to the teaching and understanding provided to them. He is reminding them that they are not deceived and that the actions of those who left the church are not the truth, but show, in fact, that they never knew him. I hope it's encouraging to you this morning that his promises are true and that your salvation is secure because of what Christ has done for you. If we keep His commandments, we know that we have come to know Him. Now there may be moments where we feel like we've messed up. Times where we have felt distant from God. Times where we just don't seem to care about the things of God. But the response this morning is not one of guilt or shame but in acknowledging that we have sin it's not an acknowledgement or an understanding that because of our sin we need to make up for lost time he isn't asking us to somehow be transformed overnight into some super-Christian or someone who's overflowing with this never-ending fruit that's obeying all of His commands, lock and step in every moment in every way. What He's asking us today, though, is to make a commitment to say, yes, Jesus, I will keep Your commandments. Lord, forgive me for the times where I've willfully or negligently disobeyed your commands he's asking us he's encouraging us to come closer to him this morning and to ask show me lord how to know and obey your commands lord god help me to see and acknowledge in all ways and all things what you've provided in first john chapter 3 chapter 5 verse 3 that his commandments are not burdensome. Let us see, Lord, today and every day, the desire to know your commands and obey them because of the love that you have for us. Despite my sin, please let me see the love you have for me because of your willingness to be an advocate to the Father on my behalf. If you're running through your mind the commands of the Lord, right? If you're starting to think, do I know what the Lord God has commanded? I encourage you to begin to just start looking the next chapter here, even in First John. which We'll talk about the next time I'm standing here where we'll clearly see we have a command to love your brother. Maybe God today is calling you to consider that this week. Lord God, have I been obeying to love your command to love those around me? Lord God, are there ways in which you are showing me or I'm not extending the love that you have for me to those who are on my left and on my right? and in chapter in verse 6 then to kind of close round this out a little bit it says whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked he's saying here then really tying back to what was provided in verse 3 that if you talk the talk you should walk the walk. If you say that you love him, then obey his commands and walk as Jesus walked. So in conclusion, then, what are the implications for us that this text provides? As Followers of Jesus Christ, acknowledging that we have an advocate in Christ Jesus and that we have assurance of our salvation because we know him and walk in his ways, how then should we live? How then are we to walk in the light as he is in the light? I think there are three things, all of which I've mentioned earlier in walking through this, but first, Acknowledge our sin, humbling ourselves to daily confess our need for an advocate with the Father in Christ Jesus. As I mentioned at the beginning, let's not miss the purpose of this text. I am writing these things so that you may not sin. And as we all fall short of the glory of God and do sin, We are called to confess our sins and to repent. I am convinced that those that make less of Jesus Christ are those who make less of their own sin and in turn making less of the sacrifice that He has truly made for us. So, Buffalo City Church, may we be marked as a group of individuals that make much of our sin and in light of that make even more of Jesus Christ and what he's done for us I encourage all of us this week as we spend time in his word we spend time in prayer ask him clearly plainly to reveal our sins to us ask him clearly and plainly to tell us where we've fallen short so that we can ask for forgiveness, so that we can turn from our wrong ways and repent and rejoice in what he's done. While we're acknowledging our sin, recognizing where we fall short, We then follow that with shouting it from the rooftops of our life that we have an advocate, that we have been set free from the bondage of sin and death. Consider how we live, our everyday patterns, the things we spend our time focusing our effort and energy on and with, the things we invest in with our time, talent, and our treasures. Do those things, if we look in our lives and consider those things, make it readily apparent? Is it shoot, shouting from the rooftops of our lives that we have been set free? The commands of Christ that you pursue and follow, are they done willfully and joyfully because of what Christ has done and is doing for you? Are we the people who wallow in our self-pity? Who find difficulty in every turn and a reason for grumbling? That's the case, Buffalo City Church. We're forgetting. That we have an advocate in Christ Jesus. That all of those horrible things have been paid for. That the sin of our lives have been nailed to the cross. And because of that, let us have joy. And finally, I think this text encourage us, encourages us to. Seek to know and follow the commands of God through the strength in which he provides. Plumb the depths of his word to know all that Jesus has commanded. Seeking to ask ourselves, are we being obedient to your command, Lord? Lord, help me to understand your ways. And help me to walk as you walk. I encourage you as you go through your Bible reading plan. If you don't have a Bible reading plan, come talk to me. <laughs> but if you're working through your Bible reading plan and your daily time in the Word, begin to ask yourself, what is God commanding here? What is Jesus calling me to do and to be in His Word. To love your brothers and sisters in Christ. To make disciples. The commands for husbands and wives and children that Caleb has been unpacking and reviewing in Ephesians. Consider and relish in obeying Him who first loved you who provides the assurance of your salvation, and an advocate with the Father. Let us pray. Lord God, we thank you for your word. Lord God, we thank you that you are a God who doesn't leave us to our own, but Lord God, who provides us with your spirit the God who provides us with Your Word. Lord God, who provides us with Your Word made flesh in Christ Jesus. Lord God, would we consider truly what it means that we have an advocate in Christ Jesus. Lord God, would we Consider and acknowledge, Lord God, that we are sinners in need of a Savior. Lord God, that not one of us, not one, is without blemish. But thankfully, oh, thankfully, Lord, you have provided in your Son Jesus Christ a one to speak on our behalf, with the Father. Lord God, I pray that we would shout from the rooftops of our lives the joy of that truth. Lord God, that we would, out of a love for You, seek in Your power to obey Your commands. Lord God, let us see that as we wrap up in a time of worship and that we go from this place, Lord God, that you have not let us alone. Lord God, to seek and to know you and to abide in you, Lord God, but you have given us one another. Lord God, you have given us your word and you have given us your spirit. Let us rest in that. We thank you and love you. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.